also going to warn you this may be a little bit longer than usual, so I just ask for your patience in that as well. I trust God will keep our attention where He wants it. If you find yourself drifting off or nodding off, then stand up and stretch a little bit. I'd rather you stand up and stretch and twist your hips than miss out on something God has for you this morning. So, if you see someone around you, stand up and keep the blood flowing. What did you say? Slap them? Slap them? That'll really get the blood flowing. Um, that reminds me, you know, I, I, uh, St. Patrick's Day was yesterday, and I've never really understood the whole wear green, or if you don't wear green, you get pinched, because that has always felt kind of inappropriate to me. Like, pinching is something that, that only grandmas can do, right? Because... You know, it's one thing if grandma comes up and pinches your cheek, but if someone else does it, it feels a little bit weird. But I thought it might be a little more fun if we started slapping people that didn't wear green. That might make it a little more interesting, right? Uh, yeah, you can start with me. I'll take it. But uh, this, this message I have, we're, we're, we're breaking from Luke uh, for, for the moment. Um, I was just going to kind of plow through Luke until we got to Easter, uh, but there's some really important things that I think we need to talk about before Easter. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the cross. We haven't really stopped and focused on the cross and, and, uh, and really ascertained what is so significant about the cross for our faith, and I want to make sure that, that we do that, that I've led you in that as best I can. Today, we're going to talk about something that's also very important to our faith, and and I'm going to get into that in just a minute. But, but I do want to say, you know, um, this, is, this is probably about the, the third or the fourth version of this, that God has kind of been working this message in me throughout the course of this week. And I can kind of tell sometimes that, uh, that something is important because of what happens to me in the week leading up to sharing it. And, you know, I've kind of had some, had some struggles this week. I got sick. There's been some, some other things where it's kind of felt like I've been uh, a little bit uh, under attack, and um, I was just determined that uh, even if I was uh, not feeling well or not able to speak all the way through it, I was, I was going to get up and I was just going to show you on the screen, word for word, what I was going to say, because one way or another, I think we need to hear this today. One way or another, I've, need to hear the, I've needed to hear this this week, and God has been working this in my heart, and so I'm sharing with you directly from where I have been. So, um, we're just going to dig into it and uh, just pray that God will lead us in the process. God is faithful. He cannot be unfaithful. God cannot be unkind because He is a kind God. God cannot be at the same time, imperfect because he is a perfect God. These are who he is. It is impossible for God to make mistakes. This is, this is God's nature and this is God's character. And God's heart for us this morning is that we know him. And I think God will go to great lengths for us to know him. God may even have to offend us from time to time that we may kind of be drawn to the fact that there's something wrong in our thinking, that, that we haven't understood what the real truth is. We're kind of blinded by a half-truth or a lie. And I want to ask you some questions. They're going to be up on the screen. Some of the questions will be on the screen. Some of the thoughts will be on the screen. If you have a way to take notes, you can do that. Uh, you can take them on a card or one of the cards out of the, out of the chairs in front of you. 
take one of those green cards. We need to replace all those anyway, so, so that'll get them out of here so we can replace those before Easter. Take some notes on those things. Get out your phones, write them in your phone. They're going to be up on the screen, and if there's a phrase on the screen, I think it's probably important enough for you to write down and think about in the week ahead. The first question I'm going to start off with is, when was the last time you changed your mind? As we grow and as we mature, I think we kind of maybe settle into patterns and habits and routines, both in the ways that we live our lives and the ways that we think about our lives. And it can become easy, I think, for us to get into a situation where, where we've just kind of been doing and thinking the same way for an extended period of time. So when was the last time you changed your mind? When was the last time, maybe this would be a better way to put it, when was the last time God changed the way you think and feel about a situation? When was the last time God was speaking to you through the word, through a time of prayer, through your interaction with other believers, that that God was speaking to you, and as God spoke to you, it confronted something in your life, and as a result of what God said in the confrontation of God's truth, because God has to confront the lies in our lives, he will not allow us to continue to live out the lies when when we're living in the lies. He wants us to believe and live in the truth, and so God will confront those lies in each and every one of our lives, and when God does that, it will change the way we think and feel about a situation. When was the last time that happened for you? When was the last time God confronted a long-held belief or idea in your life and you had to radically alter the way you think, the way you feel, and as a result, the way you live? So God is in the process of transforming us. We've talked about this many times, that, that this relationship with Jesus Christ is not something that we can try to add to our lives, but God wants to transform our lives. He's transforming us from death into life. He's transforming us from darkness into light, and so he wants to move us from where we were to where he wants us to be. That's going to require transformation. Transformation requires change. We change when we come to know God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, this should be up on the screen for you. Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, the church he wrote the most to over the course of the years. There's even some letters that we don't have that we know that he wrote. But Paul says, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. The Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom. We believe that God is with us this morning where two or three are gathered in His name. Together we are gathered in His name this morning. That means the presence of God is here. That means the presence of freedom is with us this morning. So if you're feeling a little bit uptight and you're feeling like, oh, what's he going to say? What, what is he going to say that's going to set us off? I don't know if anything will, but if it does, then that's not the right spirit to pay attention to because God wants to set you free from that. Where the spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom, and we all with unveiled faces reflect the glory of the Lord. We all with unveiled faces reflecting the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The song we sang earlier put it from glory to glory. Your translation might say that. We are being transformed from glory to glory, from one degree of glory to another, from this degree of glory to the next degree of, degree of glory, which is from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
This is referring back to, if you go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in its entirety, you'll hear him talk about Moses. And when Moses would go and be in the presence of the Lord and he would come out, his face would glow. And it freaked all the people out because his face was glowing so that he would wear a veil so that it wouldn't scare everyone. And so he's talking about now we, with unveiled faces, reflect the glory of the Lord and we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, uh, to another in that same image, the image of Christ. We are being transformed into the shame, the same shining. We are being transformed into the same illumination. God is transforming us from one degree of glory to another, from, from one level of light to another level of light, from where we have been illuminated to the next level of illumination. God is transforming us from one degree of glory to another. To, to transform us, he has to set us free from things that have bound us, from lies that we have been bound by our entire lives. Some of the lies are things that we've just grown accustomed to. They've been there so long we're not even aware of them anymore. And I have a feeling that that's where God wants to work on all of our hearts. What's that thing that you've just gotten used to that's keeping you from really knowing God? Lies that are very familiar to each and every one of us, the lies that we know so well that we might even start to believe them as truth. Lies that we enjoy because they're predictable and we know what to expect. God wants to transform us. He wants to set us free from the bondage of these lies into his truth. So I have to ask again, when was the last time God changed the way you think and feel about something or someone? And if you can't remember, if we can't remember, we might be stuck. I don't know if you've ever gotten stuck. I don't know if you've ever driven your vehicle somewhere where you shouldn't have been driving your vehicle and you got it stuck. One time I was driving my dad's truck and I was taking a friend home and as I was trying to turn the truck around, I backed into some mud. Just one wheel, just, just one wheel in the mud. And you would think with, with two wheels that have the power to spin, you'd be able to get out. But that one wheel just spun, and it spun. And the more I pushed on the throttle, the more that wheel spun down into the dirt. And luckily, fortunately, maybe by God's providence, there was a guy that was driving by on a tractor who was able to, with his tractor, pull me out of the mud. So you might be stuck this morning and you might be spinning your wheels as fast as you can go. You've got your pedal all the way down to the floorboard and you're trying to get out of the mug. But the problem is, the harder that we spin with the same way of thinking and the lies that we've already embraced, we only end up getting ourselves more stuck. We don't need to try harder to get ourselves out. We, we need someone to come and pull us out, right? We don't need to try harder to get ourselves out of the mud. We need someone to come and lift us out of the mud. And that's how God describes it in his word, that he came to lift us out of the muck and the mire, the mess that we had made in our own lives. So I have another question for you. Do you feel like, do you feel like you've been trying harder and harder, but you just can't make any progress in your walk with God? 
Like you're working really hard to follow God at the moment. You are putting a lot of effort into it. you're, You're trying hard to do what you think you need to do to be approved by God. Do you feel like you're trying harder and harder, but you're just not making any progress? Let's talk about this idea of transformation for just a moment. If you do a word study on this word transformation in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it's also the same word Paul uses in Romans chapter 12, where he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the same word, this is very interesting, the same word that's used in Matthew and Mark to describe Jesus when He's being transfigured. You remember the interaction? Maybe you don't, but Jesus goes up on a mountain and and we have what's called the transfiguration where where Jesus is literally standing between between heaven and earth, between between the presence of the eternal God and and the limitations of the finite present. And and here between this is Peter, James, and John who are up there and, and they see Jesus illuminated or transfigured in front of them. It says he, he, he glowed like the light. From one degree of glory to another, from darkness to light, from, from light to lighter, from bright to brighter. This is what God wants to do in us. He wants to transform us. The word here, it's also interesting, the, the, it's the word metamorpho. What does that word sound like? Metamorphosis, the process of meta, metamorphosis from caterpillar to butterfly. This is what God wants to do in us. He wants to transform us into this. He wants to transform us from, from being darkness into, into light. He wants our lives to be illuminated. We are supposed to be being transformed from one degree of glory to another by the renewing of our minds. Our way of thinking is probably going to need to change. So if we haven't changed our minds in a while, then there is a good chance that we're stuck in some old habits, some old patterns, and maybe some lies that are limiting us in our ability to follow and know God. Our minds need to be renewed on a continual basis from one degree of glory to the next, from one step to the next, from darkness to light, from light to lighter, from bright to brighter. God wants to transform us continually by the renewing of our minds. Titus chapter 3, I want to share with us quickly. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, misled, enslaved to various passions and desires, spending our lives in evil and envy, hateful and hating one another. But, but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, Did you hear that? He saved us, not not by the works of righteousness that we have done, but on the basis of His mercy. 
Not on our righteousness are we saved, but we are saved by His mercy through the washing of the new birth and, what's this word, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us in full measure through Jesus Christ our Savior. And the result, and so, since we have been justified by His grace, we become heirs with the confident expectation of eternal life. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But if we're stuck and we've buried ourselves in a rut of our own making, trying harder isn't going to get us out of the rut. There was an old sign on some roads that used to be up in in Alaska before they had put some roads in, and I don't have a picture of it, but there was a sign that would say, choose your rut carefully, you're going to be in it for a while. You know, we kind of have gotten used to choosing the ruts that we're in, right? We get in a rut and we get used to the rut and we can't really find the way out of the rut. We try hard as we may, but we can't get out. See, if we're stuck and we've buried ourselves in a rut of our own making, what we need is God's work of transformation in us. And that work of transformation will almost always certainly require a change of thinking. And that change of thinking will lead us almost always to changes in our behaviors. But as we just read, it doesn't start with a to-do list. It starts with the relationship. He saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but on the basis of His mercy. He changes us based on His grace and His mercy because He is perfect at it and He cannot fail at being merciful. That is just who God is. We fail at being merciful all the time because we have yet to be made perfect, but God is perfect in mercy. Back in the fall, we we were going through a series covering our discipleship process, and we talked about how God wants to change our motives, and we used this phrase that God wants to change the why that drives our lives. For most of us, the why that drives our, drives our our lives is us, right? It's ourselves. It's me. It's what am I going to get out of this? What am I going to get at the end of the day? What is God going to do for me? What am I going to get out of God? What am I going to get from God? What is God going to do for me so that I can be happy? What? It's all about me that, that I can get this stuff from God, but that's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want to just give you the stuff that you think that you want. He wants you to have Him. In fact, this work is something that requires a heart transplant. I'm not going to get deep into this because there's some debate into this, but I think this is a picture of what's supposed to take place and what will eventually completely take place in our perfect and final salvation, redemption, and restoration. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27. This is also in Ezekiel chapter 11 earlier in the book. You can read this and see this is a theme that, that, that that is important. Ezekiel is speaking as God's mouthpiece and says, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will take the initiative and you will obey my statutes and carefully observe my regulations. 
But this will come from the new heart that God puts in us. You know, I love the show Fixer Upper. I don't know if anyone else likes the show Fixer Upper, but, you know, it's a great show, right? I mean, Chip is awesome. He's hilarious. He's funny, humble most of the time. And I think there are some, maybe some aspects of restoration and in, in, the, in the process of the Gospels, but I think really what is at the heart of it is not that, that God kind of comes into our present-day life and, and, you know, and fixes a few things here and there to up our street value, but at the same time kind of you know, stays away from the structural integrity of the home, right? I, you know, I think we kind of have this view that God's just going to kind of come in and he's going to do a little bit of this and do a little bit of that, and he's going to hammer over here, and he's going to do some new plumbing and some new wiring, and he's going to kind of fix a few of these things. But, but you know, that's not really, I don't think, God's desire for us as his followers. He doesn't want to just come in and fix a few broken things. He wants to destroy the broken thing and replace it with a brand new thing and get rid of the heart of stone which is broken and replace it with a heart that actually has the ability to beat. We are going to cover Luke just a little bit, but we're a little bit out of sync with this. It's at the end of chapter 5, which is where we are. Luke chapter 5, verse 33 and 39, then they said to him, John's disciples frequently fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours continue to eat and drink. So Jesus said to them, you cannot make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But those days are coming, and when the bridegroom is taken from them, at that time they will fast. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it onto an old garment. If it does, he will have torn the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst, and the skins will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. Instead, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says, the old is good enough. <laughs> I think maybe some of the struggle that a lot of us have felt is that we're trying to cram this new thing of God into an old wineskin without giving him complete control over the hearts of our lives and letting him give us a brand new heart so that we can have a brand new life and a brand new relationship with him so that he can do the new thing he's been wanting to do all along. We're trying to cram the the new into the old, and it's not working. And the reason I think that we do this is this verse 39, no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says, the old is good enough. I don't need that new stuff. The old is just fine. What I've been doing all this time is just fine. Don't, don't make me change anything now. Don't make me rearrange my life now. Let me, let me just kind of stick with where I am. And I don't care who we are or where we are on our journey and our relationship with Jesus Christ from birth to death. God wants to continue us in the process of transformation from glory to glory. He doesn't want us to just get to the point where we say the old is good enough for me. God wants to give us a new heart. Have you ever known someone who talked and acted like they knew someone, but there's no possibility that that was actually true? 
You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you, you know somebody and they talk about someone that they've never met as though they know them and they're best friends. Let me give you an example. I love Tom Hanks, favorite actor, top of my list when it comes to actors. I've watched a lot of his movies. I thought I had watched most of his movies, but then I went through the list and I haven't watched most of his movies. But I've watched a lot of his movies. I've seen him. If I see that he's going to be on late night TV, like if he's going to be on Jimmy Fallon, then a lot of times I'll stay. Or I used to love it when he'd come on Letterman because he'd just kind of make these rogue appearances on Letterman, or it seemed rogue anyway. He'd kind of jump out from behind the stage and, and surprise everyone, and it was really fun to be, to be able to witness that. And, you know, I've seen some interviews that he's done, whether it's, you know, about movies or about things that he's involved with. You know, you know I've kind of watched a lot about Tom Hanks. I think he's one of the best actors, if not the greatest actor of our time. I, know, I think I know a lot about time, right? I've seen Tom, I've seen a lot of his movies, right? Big, anyone watch Big? That was one of the first movies that I saw. Turner and Hooch, you remember that with that great big dog and he slobbered all everything and every time he shook his head, it would just go everywhere. A League of Their Own, what's the line from A League of Their Own? There's no crying in baseball, right? We, we've, we know Tom pretty well, sleepless in Seattle and he's on that boat, that houseboat, right? And he's just sad and can't get over the loss of his wife and Forrest Gump. Run, Forrest, run. There's a lot of lines from that one, isn't there? Apollo 13, that's my favorite. Saving Private Ryan, that one will get you in your gitter. You've Got Mail, that's one of the ones that's on repeat in our house a lot of the time. If there's nothing else on, You've Got Mail is usually on some channel, right? You can go find it and watch it. The Green Mile, man, that one was really cool to watch. Castaway, I know a lot of people don't like Castaway, but I like Tom Hanks, and I think he was great in Castaway. He did a really good job. I mean, how many, how many movies are there with just one actor that actually keep your attention? You know, I didn't keep my attention. Well, it's because you don't care about Tom Hanks, so you don't know what you're talking about. Catch Me If You Can, remember that one where it's Leo DiCaprio, the guy that, that falls off into the water in Titanic because Rose is selfish and, you know, so he's chasing Leo through the, through the airport and then at the end it has that classic line, look behind you, nobody's chasing you. The Terminal, another movie in an airport, extremely loud and incredibly close, a great movie about 9-11 and, and some of the things that happened in people's lives as a result of that. I mean, I've watched a lot of Tom Hanks movies. I know Tom pretty well based on what I've seen him when he's portraying a character and then I, I also, I can go and, on Wikipedia and I can look up Tom, right? I can go look up Tom on Wikipedia. He was born on July 9th, 1956. That makes him 12 years younger than my dad. His mom was Portuguese and worked in a hospital. His dad was an itinerant cook and had an English background. His parents divorced in 1960, so he was four years old. He went to live with his father along with his sister Sandra and his brother Larry, his younger brother, Jim, stayed with his mother. I'm starting to feel like I know Tom, right? I mean, he was characterized, he has characterized himself when he was a teenager as a Bible-toting evangelical. He identified as a geek and a spass and horribly, painfully, terribly shy. I can identify with that. And he started acting at Skyline High School. 
I can, I can even learn about Tom from some of the things that he stands for, right? I mean, he has supported veterans and, and fought to help the world understand what they have gone through as a result of their service to our country. And I, I can support that. And, and he serves as the, as the campaign chair of the Hidden Heroes campaign, another thing dealing with veterans. And, and he cares about our environment. And well, there's some other stuff that I don't really like that he does. But I can just ignore all that, right? I mean, that doesn't really matter. And I can see, my, I can see myself having, having a conversation with Tom. You know, Tom walks in. Hey, hey, Tom, how you doing? What are you up to these days? You still producing all those shows? We appreciate the producing you're doing, but I mean, what's the next big role you're going to play? We want to see you... On, this, on the screen, how's, how's your little brother Jim doing? Is he doing okay? Do you guys talk much? You know, I think we might be able to, I mean, as, as a result of just kind of studying this, I mean, I think Tom could come in here and we could have a conversation and I could probably convince you that I know Tom, right? I could make it sound like I know Tom based on what I'm able to find about Tom on the internet. Throughout the story of the Bible, God has had one major overarching desire. There's a lot throughout Scripture, but this is one theme, and Jim has been talking about this and been really interesting looking at this theme throughout Scripture. His overarching desire is that he would be our God and we would be his people. It starts all the way back at the very beginning in the garden. We'll cover that in just a second. And then Genesis chapter 17, verse 8 says, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God's promising I'm going to be their God when they dwell in the land of Canaan. Exodus chapter 29, verse 45 says, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. Jeremiah verse 32, verse 38 says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. And then at the very end in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. This is God's desire for us. It has been his desire for us from the very beginning in the garden where he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden and that all changed when when the curse was dropped on mankind because of our sinful disobedience of God, but his desire, sinful disobedience against God of man and his desire all along is that he would be our God and we would be his people. God wants us to be his people. You know the feeling, right? These are my people. That's how we feel here. That's how a lot of you feel here when you've come to 6-8 and you, you finally found a group of people where it feels like your home. This is your spiritual family. This is, this is our people. These, these are my people. That's my kind of people at 6-8 Church. This is what God wants for us is that we be his people. That's his desire, that he would be our God and we would be his people. The question is, we, we have to ask ourselves, do we know God? And I don't mean, do we know a lot about God? Can we go research God on Wikipedia and feel like we know about God? Or do we actually 
know God? Have we, have we read our Bibles for years trying to learn about God or have we actually stopped to know God? Philippians is my favorite book in all of the Bible and chapter three here contains some of the verses that I've memorized for a while. And One of the things I've learned though is that even in memorization, Sometimes we memorize things and they just kind of become rote and routine. We get stuck in them because they don't mean anything to us anymore. We've just gotten used to them. And so when that happens, go find a different translation. That's what this is. This is the NET. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul is talking. He says, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, Exalt in Christ Jesus and do not rely on human credentials. This is who we are. This is our identity. We, we are the circumcision. We are the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. We exalt in Christ Jesus and we don't rely on our human credentials. And then he says, though mine are significant. You think you've accomplished a lot in your life for God? Listen to what Paul had accomplished in his life, what he thought was for God. If someone thinks he has good reasons to put confidence in human credentials, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee in my zeal for God. You want to know about my zeal for God? Well, I persecuted the church. I persecuted the way. I persecuted the Christians. That's how much I loved God. According to the righteousness stipulated in the law, I was blameless. But these assets I have, I've come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. All of my religious accomplishments, they're, they're liabilities. In fact, all things in life, it's a liability compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for, her, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness. Not my righteousness, Christ's faithfulness. Where I have been faithless, he will remain faithful. A righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. Listen to this church, pay attention to these next few words. My aim is to know him. This is the one that's really been digging on me this week. My aim is to know him. Do we know him? Or do we know about him? 
Have we experienced him or My aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, to be like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Listen to this. Let me, let me break this down for us because it's important that we get this. So hang with me. I know it's been a while, but hang with me here for a little while longer. Paul and all his striving, listen, Paul and all of his religious striving as a Pharisee did not know God. It wasn't until he met Christ that everything changed. See, up until that point, Paul had lived the perfect life according to the law that had been established. He had done everything he was supposed to and probably all of it ahead of schedule. I've heard it said that Paul's accomplishments would be something like the equivalent of getting two doctoral degrees by the time he had turned 21. I can't justify that or verify that, but it kind of paints a picture. As he said, if anyone could have confidence in human credentials, it should have been Paul, it should have been me. But then he met Christ and everything changed. And Christ began his work of transformation in Paul. And what was once the pride and joy of Paul's life, listen to this, what was once the pride and joy of Paul's life, being zealous about protecting the law of God, soon became a liability. He was disgusted by it. More than that, it wasn't just his own accomplishments that became liabilities, but everything in light of the gospel became a liability compared to knowing God. This word, it's it's translated liabilities here. Other translations will say damages. Some translations will say loss. Another great word study to do is to go look at this word because it shows up in Acts chapter 27 as well where where Paul is talking about, he he prophesies that that the boat is gonna be shipwrecked and that there's gonna be a lot of damage to the boat and then it actually happens and you see the same word again, the damage to the boat. You could maybe say that that he considers his former striving as, as a Pharisee like a shipwreck. And I want to ask, has, has your striving shipwrecked your relationship with God? Has your striving to do what's religiously required of you in your own mind shipwrecked your relationship with God because you think you've got to do these things first? So are you trying to prove your religious status and acumen instead of trying to get to know God? Are you trying to prove to God how much you love him and that he should accept you because of how hard you're working for him? Are you trying to earn your position in the kingdom of God through the works that you accomplish? See, I think our striving, our own striving shipwrecks our relationship with God. What do we need to do in perspective? What does God need to change in our minds? What is the change of thinking that God needs to bring about as a result of this truth? How do we think about our striving from this point forward, from this day forward? How are we supposed to regard that striving? Paul tells us exactly how I regard them as dung. That I may gain Christ and be found in him not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by the way of Christ's faithfulness, 
a righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. My aim is to know him. All of this stuff before Christ, well, it's a heap of cow dung. You know what I'm talking about. Anyone ever driven out 503 between Brush Prairie and Battleground? You know where I'm going. You drive out there and it's a nice sunny day. My kids know this all too well. We go because that's between our house and grandma's house. And so we come, come cruising down 503 to grandma's house and we get close to that farm. You know which one I'm talking about. Across the road it says scented acres. The poor people that bought the farm across the road, they have to make the best of this situation. And, and you know, scented acres lives across the street and it's scented for a reason because they've got this big sprinkler. Of course, you know, cattle smell on their own, but what makes it worse, right, is they've got this big sprinkler that's got this like fire hose thing attached to it and it's just going out. All day long, out in this field, they're spraying cow dung on the grass. And that gets in your car, right? And then even if you've got your windows rolled up and you've got the vent onto the outside, it gets in your car and it gets in the filter in your vent and you turn the vents on later, like days later, and that smell comes out. It smells so bad you can taste it, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It smells so bad you can taste it. Remember, I remember one time growing up and we visited some friends who had a farm in Iowa, not Ohio. I'm from Ohio, not Iowa. It bothers me when you confuse that. We went, to, we went to their farm in Iowa, and as we're in their farm in Iowa, my parents thought it'd be kind of cool if I did some farm chores with them. They had a huge farm, 1,500 acres, and so I hop on the tractor, well, what are we doing today? Well, we're, we're emptying the hog slurry from the barns. What's hog slurry? You'll, you'll find out. So we go, and you know, they've got, these, they've got these barns, and they've got these grates on the bottom of them where the hogs are, where they're raising the hogs for meat, and all of the dung and other stuff falls through and then they they pump it out put it in a tank and go out and spray it on the fields does amazing things for grass not so much for your nose I was trying to breathe through my mouth but then you taste it even worse And I'm out there, I'm out this, on this tractor with this guy. It's like, it's miles from, from the house. And I don't even know how to get back to the house because I don't live here. And so I'm like, I'm stuck on this tractor with this guy smelling this dung. It's awful. What does Paul say? I, I'm sorry, I've dwelt on that for quite a while. But I know, I'm trying to really drill it down in deep. Our striving How are we supposed to view our striving? What is the result of our striving? What happens when we work so hard and we strive so hard so that we can accomplish in our own strength, in our own might, what we ultimately can only receive as a gift from God? What is the result? Our striving is that. Striving is dung. I was gonna use another word, but I figured that might be really offensive, and I did, but I just wanted to make the point. Striving is dung. None of our own efforts will in ever in any way amount to anything but dung. 
Has God shown you that yet? Do you know this yet? Are you convinced of this truth? Has God changed your thoughts and your feelings away from striving? Why? Why is this so important? Because we need to understand, we need to have the perspective on what we do compared to what God does, and and what God does for us is so much more than the dung of what we do. That's a good line. What God does for us is so much more than the dung of what we do. What God has done for us is so much more than the dung of what we do. See, Paul's desire here is to gain Christ, to know him, to be found in him. Not my righteousness, not my works, not what I can accomplish, but the righteousness, listen, the righteousness I receive because of Christ's faithfulness. A righteousness that is from God and is based on Christ, not from me or based on my striving. This is the righteousness that God wants to give each and every one of his sons and daughters as a gift, not earn it as a trophy. God wants you to receive the gift of righteousness as a gift, not earn it as a trophy. So many of us are are caught up and stuck in trying to earn the trophy of our righteousness so that we can put it up on our shelf and say, look what I did. But my aim is to know him, what is yours. Do you know Christ or do you just know about him? Have you seen all his movies? Have you read his Wikipedia page? Maybe you follow him on Facebook and Instagram. Do you know Christ? Well, maybe that's not the struggle for you. Let me ask this question. Do you know Christ or do you use Christ? I confess I've been there. I've been in the position of trying to use Christ for my own gain. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, well, God, I've done all of these things for you. Why aren't you giving me what I want? God, I really want to make your name great, but uh, could you make me great in the process? Do we know Christ or are we using Christ? Do, do we want Christ only for the power that comes from Christ. Listen to that. I've harped and I have focused on that passage, right? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and that is a truth, that when we know Christ, we have the power of the resurrection. But are we trying to know Christ just so we can have the power of the resurrection? Are we knowing Christ for the stuff of Christ, or are we knowing Christ for the relationship with Christ? Why are we knowing Christ? What is the point of our coming to Christ? Do you want Christ or do you want the stuff? Are we using Christ to get to the power? There's a word for that. Using something to get something you want. So let me ask us, myself included, do you want the power or the person. I'm hoping and I'm praying that this is hitting home for me and for all of us and that's why it's so quiet in here. Do you want the power or do you want the person? 
power of the resurrection sounds awesome. I think it sounds awesome. I love that part. I know that my aim is to know him, to experience the power of the resurrection. I want the resurrection power in my life. I want you all to have the resurrection power in your life. But are we using the person of Christ to get to the power of the resurrection, or do we really want to know Christ? Do we really want to know God? I've prayed for this. I have prayed that God would give me the gifts of healing and all of these things that, so, that I could, so that I could heal people, right? And I don't know if you've prayed that. I've prayed for God to give me some of the miraculous gifts so that I could be a part of that. And, but I, am I using Christ? Am I trying to use my relationship with Christ so that I can perform signs and wonders? Am I using Christ to get to his power? Maybe that's not you. Maybe that's just me. There's one more that might hit us all. Are we using Christ to get our ticket to the good side of eternity? Are you using Christ? Are we using Christ to make sure we don't end up in the bad place? And if we do the right things and say the right words, well, we ought to at least secure our position in eternity, right? One of, I think, probably the biggest miscommunications of the church this day is that message. We use that message to try to get people into the church it's happened for a long time. We try to scare people into the kingdom and say, well, don't you want to go to heaven? Don't you want to secure your place in eternity? Don't you want all of this good stuff that the Bible talks about? Isn't that worth coming into the kingdom? Isn't that worth coming to church on Easter Sunday? Isn't that, that worth coming and hearing about Jesus so that you can secure your place in eternity, right? It's, that's, that's a, a major error, I think, in the message of the church today because we have somehow inadvertently made the message of the gospel about the stuff we get from the relationship with the one who created the gospel, and that's not the message of Christ at all. The message of Christ is knowing God. You see, we, we have this tendency to make everything in life about us, myself included. And we have even found ways to make eternity about me. But it's not. Eternity is not about you. It's not about me. It's all about God and knowing him. And it's only in the knowing God that we ever learn who we were created to be. Listen to me, it's gonna get really good here before we wrap up. It's only in the knowing God that we ever learn who we were created to be. See, getting to heaven and securing our place in eternity is still all about us. I don't wanna go, go to hell, so please let me go into heaven, right? Like, what do I have to do to get to heaven? What are the requirements so that I can get to heaven? I wanna get to heaven, that's the promise, right? The promise of Christ is eternal life. That's the promise of God. If you come in and you believe in Jesus Christ, then, then you get eternal, God, but do, and eternal life. But, 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 but do we understand what eternal life is? 
We've defined eternal life as this picture in the heaven where we get to go to heaven and we get a mansion and there's a big house with a lot of rooms and there's gold streets that we get to walk on and we're never going to be thirsty and we're never going to be hungry and then there's not going to be any pain and we're not going to cry. And that's how we've defined eternal life. But, but what does the Bible say is eternal life? What does Jesus say is eternal life? John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus is talking to the disciples in the upper room the night before he's going to go to the cross, and he gives us this important message just before everything is about to take place. He says, this is eternal life. We ought to pay attention. Hey, everyone, listen. Jesus says, this is eternal life. What is eternal life? That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life is that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life is knowing God. This is what eternal life is. It's knowing God. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. That's the one that God sent. Eternal life is something that God wants to do and start in you today, not wait until we die. Eternal life is not heaven. That's just the setting. Do you hear that? Eternal life is not heaven, that's just the setting. In fact, it's not even the permanent setting. The permanent setting is back here on earth in the new earth and the new Jerusalem that God's gonna bring down from heaven and restore everything here like he wants it because that's how he wanted it all along, that we would be his people and he would be our God. Eternal life is knowing God. It's not the stuff. Right? It's, it's, not the, it's not the, oh, wow, when we get to heaven, there's going to be streets of gold and all of this picture that's all been painted up and exaggerated and that we don't even know what the truth is anymore because it's been so over-proclaimed that we don't really know what reality is and what the Bible says anymore. All of that stuff is just the peripherals. It's just the byproducts. It's just the swag. It's the stuff we all get because we know God. That's not the point of going to heaven. That's not the reason we go to heaven. We don't get all of that stuff as the reward God himself is the reward. This is what eternal life is. It's knowing God and Jesus whom he sent. Why did God send Jesus? I'm getting tired, I'm sorry. I'm almost done. Why did God send Jesus? Galatians chapter 4. I don't think this one's on the screen, so just listen. Galatians 4, verse 4, you can write that down, go read it later today. But when the appropriate time had come, God's timing is perfect. God sent Jesus at the exact time he needed to come. When the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we may be adopted as sons and daughters with full rights. And because you are sons and daughters. Listen to this. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Right now, the spirit of God, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, is in your heart, 
And in here at this moment, I believe with the full assurance of faith that God has given me that right now at this moment, the Spirit in you wants to scream this message into your brain and secure this truth in the way that you think for the rest of your life so that you understand this. The Spirit is screaming into your entire life. You are a son of God and you get to call him Abba, Father. You get to call him Daddy, Father. He is now your father. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, you're also an heir through God. Listen, God sent his only son into bondage, into the power that the bondage held over his people. He sent him in as a prisoner so that he could release from within the prison all of the other prisoners who are stuck by the lies and the deceit of the enemy and trapped in it. He wants you to come out of that prison and receive the joy and the life and the peace of sonship in Jesus Christ. God didn't send Jesus to save you from hell. That is the lie. It's a byproduct. It's a truth we receive as a result from knowing God and becoming a son or a daughter of the Most High God, but he didn't just come to save us from hell. God sent Jesus to adopt you and me as sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. Listen, God sent Jesus to set us free from our own endeavors to earn our own righteousness and to give us righteousness as a gift. God sent Jesus to set you and me free from our own endeavors to earn our own righteousness and he wants to just give it to us as a gift. Righteousness is God's gift to you through Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus to bring us into the family of God. This is why spiritual family is such an important part of our life in the kingdom because God sent Jesus to bring us into his family. Here gathered together is our eternal family. Sent his son Jesus Christ to bring us into his family and to make us heirs and to give us inheritance. But do you know what? All that's just the byproduct. All that's just the swag. It's the stuff we all get. The point of God sending his son to Jesus Christ, his son Jesus Christ to die on the sins, die on the cross for our sins, was that we know the Father. He's a good father. That's who he is. And you're loved by him. That's who you are. Do you know God or do you just know a lot about God? Do you know God or are you just working really hard to try to prove yourself to God and to the world that you're worthy of God? Do you know God or are you just using God to get to his stuff? Striving leads us to a shipwrecked faith, but God wants to do something in each and every one of us this morning. God wants us to know him, and he wants to know us. That is his desire. 
Remember, that's the, that's the dream that God has laid out. That's the vision for the people of God, that from the beginning until the very end, the vision for all of us is that He dwells with us and we are His people. Though when He thinks about His people, just like when you think about your people, God is thinking about us to be His people. He wants to dwell with us. We will be His people. So God wants to go from the shipwrecked faith of striving and take you from striving to striding. He wants you to be able to stride in your faith. We go from working with all of our might to, achieve, to, to try to achieve something to now being able to do and live and walk. Not to earn. We can stride in our faith, not because we're trying to earn our own righteousness, but because that's just who we are. And that's what a son does, right? I mean, so now, you know, we've gone, I don't know if you remember, I've climbed Mount St. Helens in the past, and I remember I was climbing up that mountain, and as I'm climbing up that mountain, I am striving to get up that stupid mountain. And I remember it's like two steps forward and 12 steps back when you get to the top and you get that, that, that pummy is what they call it, the pumice, you know, it's like, it's like big chunks of sand and you're striving and you're just trying to get forward. And what I noticed, because I'm always the last person because I have asthma and I like to use that as an excuse why I can't do things. And so what I notice is that as I'm striving, I'm striving, there are people that have already been to the top and they're coming back down, right? And I notice as I'm striving and I'm working real hard to get to the top, I notice that there's people that come alongside to my left and to my right because I'm just trying with all of my might to get to the top and I decided I wasn't going to not get there and I wasn't going to not get down. I had to get back down and so I'm striving with all my might but then here come these people like my brother, my, 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 uh, my really awesome brother who's like that guy that nobody really likes having around because uh, he's probably not ever going to listen to this so I don't have to worry about it but but, you know, he's that guy that when he comes out to your house, you know, he does push-ups with his shirt off out in the yard for everyone to see, right? You know what I'm talking about? And there's these people like my brother and other people that, yeah, they're just kind of striding along. And they get up to the top and they see you struggling, so they come back down, right? So they climb the mountain like 12 times just because they get up to the top and they want to come back and walk with you because they see you're having a hard time. And so you keep striving and they're just striding and you think in your mind, what in the world kind of crazy psychopath are you that you can do this? You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it in your life. You see people that just seem to be able to effortlessly and without pain be able to just kind of walk through it all. I think that's what God has for us. I'm not saying it's all gonna be easy. I'm not saying that from this point forward, if you make this change in your belief, that God's just gonna make everything a piece of cake. In fact, I know from what scripture says that he uses the difficulties and the trials that we go through in our life to bring about a greater level of faith. In fact, Paul connects the trials and the struggles with bringing out a greater level of glory in his own life. So God has a purpose in the pain that he's leading all of us through. He's using it to draw us into relationship with him. That is the whole point, but when we go from from using God and trying to get from God what we want from God to knowing God, all of a sudden we've received now this righteousness in Christ, and now that we've received this gift of righteousness, we've received this identity as a son of God, then we realize that now I'm no longer striving to try to earn my position with God. I'm no longer working hard to try to get what I want from God. Now I'm just striding because this is who I am. This is what a son does. This is how a son lives. I 
don't have to work so hard anymore. It's not so much a labor in vain. It's joy. It might still be a labor, but it's a labor of joy. It's a labor of relationship. Because I know God. I love God. I am His Son. We are His sons and daughters. Because I know God, I think and do and say these things. Because God has come into my life. He has come in and changed my heart of stone to a heart of flesh because he has come in and he is renewing my mind and he's taking all of those lies and all of those things that are broken in my mind and he's replacing them with the truth. Because of this, now my actions, my lifestyle, my behaviors, my words, and everything about me starts to reorient itself to the truth that I am a son of God, and this is just what a son of God does. I am a daughter of God, and this is what a daughter of God does. We don't do it to prove or earn anything. We do it because we love God, and God has so greatly loved us. When was the last time God changed your mind? And has God ever changed the why that drives your life? Is the motive of your heart still all about you to get what you want? Or has God changed the motives and affections of our hearts to move us to a point where we realize this is amazing grace. I am convinced that in this room, God wants somebody to go from striving to striding. God wants us to go, we can go this morning from striving to earn our position with God to striding in the power of the resurrection. We get the resurrection power, did you know that? We do, that, that, is, that is a byproduct of coming into our relationship with God, but that's not the point. God wants you to have the resurrection power in your life. In fact, he's gonna give it to you as a gift, but you gotta know him. Do you know him? Do you know Christ? I wanna know him. I wanna know Christ, I wanna know God, I want to know the Father, I want to know him. And if God teaches that truth, listen, if knowing him becomes the reward. Do you hear that? If knowing him becomes the reward, if knowing him becomes the target, the bullseye on the target is knowing God, then no matter what God uses you for, no matter how God uses you and what God says he wants to use you to accomplish for his kingdom and his purposes in life, you will always be the recipient of the reward. The what becomes insignificant because I already have the why. God, what do you want to use me for today? I don't really care. just want to know you. God, what do you want to use me for this week? doesn't really matter to me what it is. I just, I just want to know you. God, in the lives of the people around me that you've put around me that I can love unconditionally for, 
for your kingdom purposes, not so that, not so that I can bring a whole bunch of people to Easter, and not so that we can really count up the numbers, but, but because I understand that there are some people in my life that are around me right now that don't know God, and right now their eternal destination is not just hell. Their eternal destination is a life apart from God. Right now, their eternity is being left out. And God wants them to be his people. Their eternal destiny right now is being outside the family, and God wants them on the inside. God wants to bring them in, and it doesn't become all about me and all the stuff that I have to worry about and all the stuff that I'm concerned about, and, oh, if I cross over that line, then I don't know what's going to happen. It just becomes about, do you know God? Do you love God? God loves you, and he sent his son to die for you to prove the fact that he loves you so much. He wants to love you so much. He, he loves you so much. He wants you to know this love so much, and all he wants for you to do is to come into the kingdom and love him, and then and then look at what's going to change. It's, this is what God does when he transforms us. See, he wants to transform us from one degree of glory to another. He wants to transform us from light to lighter, from bright to brighter. He wants to bring us out of the darkness and into the light. And he wants us, just like Moses and just like Jesus, to glow radiantly with the spirit of Christ dwelling in our hearts and our minds so that as we walk through this life, as we stride through this life, walking with Jesus Christ, doing what Jesus Christ has called us to do, people see the light of Christ illuminating our lives and they see us continually getting brighter and they see us continually growing and are glowing so that we can become more and more like Christ. This is what God has for you. This is what God wants to do. This is why he wants to transform you in your way of thinking so that he can bring more people into the kingdom who don't yet know that God loves them this much and who don't yet love God because he wants to be their God and wants them to be his people. Do you know him? Do you know Christ? Or are you stuck in the mud? Will you stand? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Thank you for your patience this morning. If you're here this morning and you're willing to say, I'm stuck, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand. I'm stuck, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in the mud and I'm just going in deeper. I want out. Oh, the harder I try, the worse it gets. You can put your hands down. If you're here this morning and you would say, I've been using God to get stuff from God. My desire hasn't been knowing God. Would you raise your hand? Put your hands down. If you're here this morning and you've been striving with all your might and you want to move from striving to striding, would you raise your hands? You put your hands down. Father, I pray right now in this moment 
pray, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, of the resurrected Christ, that is here because we are gathered in the name of Christ. I pray, Father, go into our hearts, go into our minds, and I don't ask for you to surgically remove things. I don't ask for you to come in and just do a little bit of restoration work. I ask, Father, that you go to the depth of our hearts, to the depths of our soul, to the depths of our minds, all the way down to the roots. Pull up by the roots those lies, those things in our lives that are keeping us from knowing you. Father, pull them up, destroy them in the fire, and replace them, I pray, with the truth. Yes, I pray for knowledge. Yes, I pray for wisdom. But most importantly, I pray, Father, that you replace in our minds, in our hearts, those lies with the person who is the truth. Father, I pray, fill us with the Spirit of Christ for the purpose of knowing the Father. Father, I pray right now in this moment, fill us with the Spirit of Christ and let, let us receive now, all of us here in this building who call 6-8 Church home, let us receive this gift of the Spirit of Christ in our lives for the purpose of knowing the Father. And I pray, Father, that as we leave this place and as we head out into the world that you've placed us in, that you lead us out empowered to be in relationship with you, empowered to dwell with God, empowered to, to know the mind and the heart of God, empowered to have relationship with God day in and day out. Father, I pray that you replace our striving with striding because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Father, I pray that you replace our motives of using God to get what we want out of life and replace those with the pure heart ambition of just knowing God. And Father, I pray for all of us here who are sick of striving and trying so hard to just try to get a half step ahead and 12 steps behind. Father, I pray right now in this moment through the power of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection spirit of Jesus Christ, that you replace that striving with relationship, and out of that relationship grows the striding of being a son or daughter of Christ, because that's just what a son does. Thank you for your truth. I thank you for loving us enough to bring us into that truth, root out all of the lies in us. May we live our lives from glory to glory for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.